1: This show is brought to you by our show's sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. It goes without saying, the only way to get help is to ask for it. Don't struggle alone. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 21 and over listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com holly. That's betterhel dot holly. Hello, and welcome back to 21 and over. I'm very happy to be back this week and super excited for today's guest. He's a world-renowned tattoo artist and he will be talking to myself and Tally about how he got to where he is today and his own mental health journey. But first, as always, it's time for a check-in. Hello Tally, how are you today? Hey,
2: good to be back. How has your week been, Hoss? What are your highs and lows?
1: Um, firstly, I'm excited that we're back in person. Yeah, me
2: too. <laughs> Feels good to be back.
1: It's been a good week let's start with the high the high is actually miles did two more tattoos on me and he's actually the only person who has given me a tattoo so far and these ones have a lot of meaning behind them and i was super grateful that he said he would do them so i'm very happy with those yeah they're
2: amazing i know the listeners can't see them but they're very cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then the low i would say some people from my past have Mm. kind of tried to come back into my life and as they had said they see that I'm moving up in the world and they kind mm. of want to become friends again and if I'm honest it made me feel pretty shit kind of feeling pretty used and it was just it was so unexpected yeah um I was caught by surprise and yeah it just wasn't a good kind of like part of the week
2: mm. well I guess it was probably quite triggering and reminded you a lot of what you've left behind basically
1: yeah, it definitely mm. did. And I think as with anything, I was kind of uh, on edge for a few days afterwards. Yeah, of course. And still But how about you? How has your week been?
2: My high and low are probably the same in that the high is that I am out of quarantine and able to kind of go back into the world and, and you know, go out for dinner and go to the gym and whatever. But the low is that I'm out of quarantine. Yeah, because you know when my poor, poor partner tested positive for COVID, I thought I was in such a bad mood. You know, it's one of those things that you can't be cross with that person yeah. for catching COVID. Um, bless him. And I, uh, I was really snappy, very you know, made it all about me. But actually, we had you know ten days together, and he, you know, he wasn't actually well but it's so nice you forget again you know it's so quick we've been in lockdown for a year and then you come out and you forget that you've just had that year and actually to be able to go back in for 10 days it was really kind of quiet and calm and Mm. I didn't feel guilty about sitting on the sofa and I didn't feel like I had to go and do a million one things so that you know it was sad to leave that you know and I I was like oh my god I can't believe it It just shows Mm. me how you know just need to take one day at a time and not project and think that something's going to be awful because I actually had it was a very lovely 10 days so that's also high high is the same as my low.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well I'm sure it's also showed you you know sometimes just hit pause for a little bit and do take a break.
2: Big time I find it very difficult to do that to just chill and I'm very lucky that my partner's very encouraging about just you know just take a break. But I find it difficult because I'm always sort of you know it's it's a guilt right? It's mm. a guilt of not doing enough. I'm feeling so. like you
1: should be doing yeah. a million. And especially if,
2: especially if the whole world's doing something or mm. everyone's running around and you know you compare yourself and all sorts of things. So, but anyway, it's it's a good reminder to just take stock sometimes. Of course. Well, speaking
1: of Miles, I'm very excited to talk to him. Now, today I'm very excited for our guest. He's an incredibly successful tattoo artist and also a friend of mine. Please welcome Miles Langford.
3: Hey, what's up? Hi Miles, how <laughs> hey are Miles. you? I'm excited to be here. Excited? Oh yeah, I'm just worried I'm going to talk too much, but well, a good okay. thing. It's a
2: podcast, you can exactly. talk as much as
3: you like. <laughs> it's going to be, be a long one.
1: So how have you been handling the last year?
3: Yeah, the last year, I think it's had a, you know, for all of us, uh, it's had our ups and downs. I often had to remind myself that I had hot water and a roof over my head and that I could order what I wanted off delivery when I wanted and that was enough. Um, for me, I'm a very driven, work-focused person. Um, so that was quite quite frustrating period of time, you know. So there was often often moments where I had to sort of look back and look what I, I had sort of established and achieved rather than look at what I haven't yet done. And I think that played on my mind a fair bit. Um It was tough. There was definitely days where, you know, I I live alone, but like thank God for I got my two dogs, but I I live alone. And uh, so there was definitely days where there was a lot of time to think. And uh, luckily they had the football still on. So every day it was was quite weird. Every day I'd be like, right, if you can just get to 6pm or 5.30, like Aston Villa Leeds or something Mm -hmm. is on, you know, that I wouldn't necessarily watch, but it was like... I just had a, had to make markers through the day to like get me through the day, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was tough. There was, and I, I think it sort of culminated in Christmas time. I'm a very family orientated person, similar to yourself. And I think when, uh, when Christmas was coming, I was all good. I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Christmas is fine. It's all good. And then like, I think two days before Christmas, I started running like twice a day. And then Christmas Eve ran at like 10 p.m. And Christmas morning got up and ran. I had to like, I was just like, it really like, hit me hard. Suddenly I felt very, very like alone. And that was pretty tough. Um, you know, I managed to escape for, uh, on Christmas day I ended up getting on a flight and, and getting out of town and, and ended up going and tattooing in Dubai for six weeks. So I got away from it all. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a rough, rough process, you know, just had to like count count our blessings and count the, the mm-hmm. health and what you did have, I think.
2: Other than, you know, having the football on every day, what did you find was useful in terms of creating a routine? I think... We've talked a lot about routine and how that's really mm-hmm. important when you've got nothing on. And mm-hmm. how did you kind of, living on your own, um, you mentioned you have dogs. Yeah. How did you kind of create a routine for yourself?
3: That was tough. Mm. I struggled with that. My brain's so erratic that it's just very hard to like pin me down to like, mm-hmm. a you know, my my close friends and family and partner will tell you it's hard because I'm just all over the place. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm very disciplined with like a lot of stuff, but like... There was days I wouldn't get out of bed till half past one in the afternoon. Mm. And I you know, there's I normally wake up at like seven, eight AM and I just couldn't move. You know, like I, I occasionally get hit with the depression or or whatever it was that day. But it was like, you know, there was multiple times. I think I had a notepad out and was like, All right, nine till ten, you watch Bloomberg, ten to eleven, watch this thing about how to trade, like eleven till twelve, you're gonna make your and it just I just couldn't commit yeah. to it. So yeah. I'm a big advocate and a big fan of routine and I know how much mm. it, it works for so many people, but yeah I struggle with it
1: of course I think we all did I definitely did like struggled having nothing to do and there wasn't even like a journey to work to kind of uh, wind down for the day at the end of the day um that was a very difficult thing that I struggled with
3: yeah that journey home from work is an important one mm. I, I took it I took it for granted up until recently and uh, and everyone used to say cause I, I live in sort of southwest London and everyone sort of said oh why do you why do you have like such a long drive to and from work and then I started to appreciate that it was yeah. half an hour to wind down. You know like in the car mm-hmm. as much as driving in London is is is, is stressful for some people and, and it is stressful but I used to live very close to my business and I found I was home and I was still I was still at work mentally. I was still mm-hmm. like having that debate or that thought like I hadn't hadn't switched off and I found that that was quite um I found out to be quite negative in the end you know, to be living so close in such a close proximity obviously had its positives when something, when the shit hit the fan, you mm-hmm. know, you could literally just get there. But I feel like, yeah, it was actually almost like a bit of a, bit of a burden just to be so accessible and to be so close to the business, you know, mm-hmm. it was, uh, so now I actually really appreciate like breaking up the day and like the way to work. I, I, I predominantly phone, uh, Abby, who's like sort of my right hand person who helps me out with a lot of stuff. i normally phone her and we, digest what's going on think about what we've got coming up or debrief about the night before or yeah use that time and I, I find by the time I get to work or by the time I'm home I'm in the correct headspace one way or the other
2: if you don't mind I'd love to go back to sort of the beginning and and ask you you know what your childhood was like and, and if you were kind of always into
3: art um my childhood as I think any anyone's childhood I, I think it was interesting uh, I was brought up in a loving household um with two parents around, uh, grandparents, sister. Um, like any family, we we had our traumas and our ups and downs. And I would say it was a, a fun, slightly volatile, interesting upbringing. And in the fact that I wouldn't say I was ready to conform to rules and regulations for a long time when I was younger. And I think mom and dad tried their very best to help nurture what I had, whether it be football or art or anything that wasn't geography, maths, science, basically anything that wasn't, um, academic, mm-hmm. you know, like as I've grown older, I've learned to love literature and I like to try and think of myself as quite a literate person. Um, however, not much sunk in, in school, you know, it was very, uh, it was very hard for me. Um, I think there was a turning point and I think I was around 12 or 13 when my mom turned around to me and said, I know you're not going to do a quote unquote normal job and I know you're not going to have a normal life, but I believe you're going to be something and I believe you're going to do something with your life and I've just got to put my trust in something that you're, you're going to be okay. And I think to hear that at such a young age and for that to have been acknowledged at such a young age was very impactful. It's something that I had a long conversation with her just recently about it. But to have the self-belief and to have the belief mm. from the two people that I looked up to the most, you know, mum and dad, at a young age was like, I think just that one line has just stuck with me forever. Mm. And it was, I don't know if my mum probably like, you know, just said it off the, I don't know if she thought about it for hours before she said it or she just said it. Mm but to hear a lot growing up, you're not going to be anything or like, you're not going to amount to nothing, you know, like why do you want to like, I remember we'd, we'd go and play football at school and I'd draw on my hands with Sharpies and like on my arms, you know, like I always wanted to have tattoos and, and I think we go and play other schools at football and they would be like, oh, you look like a weird." And then I'll just score a hat trick and be like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I was just like, I was always, I always just, just wanted to do things my way and I've always thought outside the box. Um, but I think, yeah, go, going back to the childhood thing, I was very, very lucky in the fact that mum and dad would like have conversations with the school and tell them that if, if, if he's going to be silent in class because he's drawing on his school books and stuff, just let him draw. And if he wants to leave the lessons, go to art block, just let him do it because if he doesn't want to be, he's not going to not going take anything in. You know, even to this day now, like uh, I was just just recently away and my, my girlfriend was like, I bought a book for you to read on holiday. And I was like, ah, oh God, a book. <laughs> like, And I love learning. No, I really, really love learning. But I was like, oh, a book. And I think she's going to kill me because I can't, uh, it's called as, as I lay dying and it's written by a famous author, but it's written in not very, I want to say practical or very like sensible English. It's written mm-hmm. like, like maybe further ahead than I am with it. And it was, uh, she was like, just read, just switch off and just read. And And, and I actually really enjoy it, but I can't take any information in. Mm-hmm. so it's like i can mm-hmm. read neil young's autobiography and, and and be passionate neil young fan and i can't i can read chapter after chapter sit there and take in every word read it really it, read it and i could someone be like well have you just read i'll be like no i didn't yeah i can relate to that <laughs> so then in school they're like that are you stupid like just read the science book and, and i'm like yeah but, but if i'm sitting there drawing which is the ironic part if i'm sat there drawing and holly or yourself told me a story i could probably tell you it word for word Wow. So it's for what I I believe is called cognitive learning. Mm. So it's where you can like distract yourself. It's like I shake one of my legs quite often and people Mm. are like, oh, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm trying to keep my brain switched on. So if my body's doing something, it helps me to stay engaged. Mm. So, but in school, this is like 17, 18 years ago, that wasn't so understood or that wasn't so recognized. You know, it wasn't, it was just like someone's talking at me and I'm just sitting there like, "I, I can hear you. And I can understand you, but I can't remember it. Whereas mm. my sister, as an A-star student, read a book and just rewrite the book. <laughs> you know, just like, that was it. A-star. And I'm there like that. This
0: episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com.
3: I remember like, and I don't even know if I've ever told him, but I remember in my English GCSE, and I think I only got about six GCSEs, but I think in my English GCSEs, I think the question for the, the writing question was something like, what do you want to achieve? or "What?" And I just said, you know what, like, excuse my french i didn't write this but i just said fuck it all i i just wrote from my heart and wrote about how i just want to make my dad proud Mm. and i just wrote like honestly like the like pages of this stuff well no no punctuation or no probably correct grammar but i just wrote from the heart and just you know told whoever read it a story about how i just was was really determined just to to have my old man be proud of me Mm. you know So these are all things that kind of stood out from my childhood that uh, I don't necessarily think it was a normal upbringing. I think my mom and dad had a hard time with me and my sister for different reasons. But, you know, I'm very close with those guys. And yeah, I'm blessed to be here Mm. and I'm blessed that they let me spread my wings at 16 and and they backed me to go to New York when I was 20, 21. And we've had an amazing relationship ever since.
1: I think that's so amazing how your parents embraced your creativeness because, too much in school i mean even when i was at school i was labeled the creative one because i wasn't academic and i'm still not but as you said i love learning i just can't do it the conventional way where you read a book and then get tested on it that's not for me and way too early on were my parents told you know she's the creative one Mm -hmm. and kind of you know we've got to find other ways to Mm -hmm. make her learn things and it just it doesn't work for everyone
3: yeah 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 there's no uh there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, if you can get to the, if you can get to the end result, you know, I think that's, that's the main thing. And I think that's what I struggled with being younger was that I would get to the end result and someone was telling me it's was the wrong way. You've got there. And I just mm-hmm. said, it shouldn't matter because mm-hmm. I got there, you know, and for me, it was like having these standoffs with teachers or, you know, adults at the time. You know, these people who I looked at as far older, who are probably only my age. But like they just, you know, they couldn't couldn't understand where I was coming from, and it does it does make it hard. I think mm. for my whole life, I just gravitated towards finishing school to play football, or finishing work to like meet up with my friends, or to finish tattooing to go to the bar. You know, it was always like I just wanted to like finish and do my own thing. So yeah, yeah, it was. It's been an interesting one. Mm.
2: <laughs> so, so when did you get your first tattoo?
3: Um, so we've, we were all hanging out, um, BMXing together uh, in the local skate parks and stuff. And we figured out if we did use a, like a, a needle and thread and some Indian ink um, that we could permanently mark each other's skin. So I have a tattoo on the top of my right thigh that says BMX. And uh, <laughs> it's been there since I was about 15 years old, I think. And then my second one, um, I remember I was staying with my grandma, my nan, and, uh, I told her I was just staying in the, like the local, the local, uh, with one of the local lads. And I remember bunking or like, we call it bunking, or what it's called now, skipping or jumping a train. And I went all the way to Exeter to meet some girl off of MySpace. MySpace. And, um, you know, we'd only ever, uh, we only ever spoke on MySpace. You know, we had five pictures of each other. You couldn't send each other pictures or webcam or none of that stuff. So I just went and met her and, um, You know, I think she had said on the fact, she was like, I think I love you before we'd even met, you know, it was just just so young and like naive. And uh, I went up there to Exeter and I was like, I'm going to get tattooed. So I just went into some shit tattoo shop and uh, got a diamond on my leg. It was probably like 40 quid. You know, I couldn't have looked older than 15. And so that was that. And then uh, fast forward till I was 17. And uh, yeah, I got most of my right leg from just below my knee to my toes tattooed. And that was uh Mum and Dad gave the blessing on that because it wasn't on my arm. They were like, just do it on your leg.
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so they've
3: always been like, since I was about eleven, I I seen tattoos when I was about eleven in um Kerrang magazine. And uh it was a rock and roll magazine yeah. back in the day. And it was uh funny enough, I told you guys I was gonna waffle. But uh there was funny <laughs> enough, there was uh the singer at Lincoln Park has flames tattooed on his arm. He's, he sadly passed away now, but he had flames from his wrist to his elbow. And um, that was what first got my attention for tattoos. And I always used to draw the flames on going back to the school days. You draw the flames on. And then uh, fast forward uh, to when I was living in Hermosa Beach in California, I was in a tattoo shop and uh, working with an older guy and uh, he turned around, same sort of question. Oh, what, what got you into tattooing? And I said, oh, I was 11, young, Chester, for Lincoln Park. I said, you're going to laugh. And he laughed, you know, he laughed about the story. And I was like, why are you laughing so much, you know? And uh, he was like, they're from Hamosa Beach. I did those tattoos. No, I knew wow. you were going to say that. I can't believe yeah. <laughs> it. so I was it. working with the guy. Like, there's some weird synchronicity, the way the world works. You know, that's mad. Yeah. I was just in the room. and I got and goosebumps. Having never having that conversation never come up I could have never known that was a trip that was a crazy crazy trip to be like to how it's all gone full circle to be to be in that room in a small beach town in California to be working alongside someone who did the thing that got me into my craft that's now provided me with such a beautiful and like blessed life I'm forever grateful (laughs) forever grateful (laughs)
1: crazy so who taught you most of the skills that you use today
3: I got a long list of people to probably thank for this, but um, I'll always say my dad got me into art, and he can, he could paint, and uh, he used to do watercolor paintings. So I'd always say that was a slight inspiration. But when it comes down to hardcore tattooing, um, I have a friend. It's another another little story. <laughs> so I have a friend called uh, his name is Matthew, but we everyone knows him as Matthew. and he's been tattooing for uh, a little while. And uh, so when I was uh, 22, yeah, 22, I was living in in New York and my ex-partner was like on my case. You need to to, uh, get another job. You can't just be modeling. You can't just be smoking weed. You need to like do more of your life. And I was having my torso tattooed at the time. And I said, oh, I really want to be a tattooer. You know, I've wanted to be a tattooer since 11 years old. I really want to do it. And she kind of gives it the old eye roll and like, of course you do you know, this is going to last two months and like, you know, what's the next thing, you know? And uh, anyway, so I've, I've, I've uh, emailed Math, right? I've emailed Math and I've gone, hey man, like, can you please help me out trying to get an apprenticeship? You know, like I really want to be a tattooer, you know, I've known you since I was 18, like I don't really know where else to turn. And he was like, oh, if you're serious then fly to England and prove it to me. So I was like, okay, okay. I got, got on a plane from New York, come to London, understudied him for like a week or two, you know, I've been there, done that. And he was like, all right, go to, uh, go back to New York and, uh, I'll sort something out. So anyway, I've gone back to New York and, uh, I'm at, I'm at a different tattoo shop, just hanging out. And I get a call, go, go meet these people now at this tattoo shop down the road, 121 Essex road in, uh, in New York, in the lower East side. So I've gone over there, walked in and like, Hey, I'm here to like meet about the apprenticeship. They like that. Oh, there's a toilet full of boxes. Start breaking them down. And I've just come off set from like a Hugo boss campaign or something. You know what I mean? Like, and now I'm like cleaning toilets and it's like, I'm like, well, it's very, very humbling. But, um, long story short, I've done that. I've got, I've got the apprenticeship in the Lower East Side and, uh, fast forward to now the first person who works, works for me now. And the person who's worked there the longest since I've had my shop is math. So like, as soon as I had a shop, I, the first person I, I, I offered a job to was him. And, uh, I always felt indebted to him, so I I feel like even now, like I'd say now he would say the favors paid off, and uh, we're we're yeah. equal. But um, you know, I, I had a uh, I always had that in my head that I was gonna cut that like one day when I had a shopper, I'd give him a job to uh, you know, just to complete that circle. And now he he's been working for me for a little while, and uh, that's one of the most rewarding things I've had happen to me since mm. I've been a business owner is like to be able to have him like upgrade his lifestyle and to provide more for his son, just from an idea that sort of I I, I came up with has is, is been very, that's a very rewarding feeling, mm-hmm. you know.
2: So you opened London Social Tattoo two years ago and I was wondering what kind of inspired, what inspired you to do that? Obviously you've touched on some things,
3: but has this always been a dream? I just thought I could do it better than anyone else was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good answer. I was pretty, <laughs> that I, was I, just, good I just, the thing with the tattoo industry is, and i got no problem saying it, a lot of tattoo shops and a lot of tattooers want to be cool to other tattooers so a lot of what they do they base their marketing on other tattoos they go to conventions to get their ego stroked they make their mm-hmm. like I'm doing this massive tattoo look at me you know it's very like tattoo a focus as a as a as a vocation. You know, they want to be accepted by other tattooers, right? Mm-hmm. So all I did was like, you know what, I'm gonna make it really, really fucking accessible for people to come and get small tattoos and I'm gonna monopolize what used to be a walk-in tattoo. So like a word or like an LDN on a wrist or like a little love heart. I'm gonna monopolize these, make it accessible for people to see that this is available at a space which is all white and clean. Sam Smith's music playing, you know, like all like, <laughs> the, like the fun things, you know, like all the nice things that like I made a space that's friendly for like 18 to 81 year olds throughout the whole, like the whole of London and and, and outside that that they could come in and be welcomed and they weren't greeted by a guy on the front desk with like solid black tattoo arms and like scary dude with heavy metal. It was like, why don't you go after the clientele? So other tattooers would walk in the shop and be like, this isn't very tattooy, And I'm like that, yeah, but I'm off in my Range Rover on the way home. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I didn't do this to appease other tattooers because in my head, I have Mark Mahoney and Bob Roberts and the old school guys in tattooing across the globe. They all back me because I've done my time and I've worked under them. So I've got the blessings of the people that I think count. So I'm not bothered if someone in their thirties or their forties thinks I'm like changing the game. I wanted to build a successful business. And now we've got shop two, shop, you know, it's like changing the way, the way people perceive tattooing and keeping up with the times. You know, that was like tattooing kind of in the dark ages. You know, there's no HR. <laughs> you know, my best friend's the HR of this industry yeah. now, you know, like he goes and puts his foot down. And he's yeah. like, nah, you ain't doing this. That's what inspired me. I also had a crazy network of people within the public eye that I'd known for the last sort of eight, eight years at that point. And I had all these friends and all these different people I knew who were successful in their own right. And I never asked anything of any of these people, you know, they've always come to me and asked me to get tattooed. So I was like, why the fuck am I going to take this somewhere else when I can just put it under my own roof? and people can eat off the back of it. So that's what's happened, you know, tattoo more and more people and more and more people are getting fed and more and more of my friends are like, coming and sitting at the table and it's a very good feeling most of the time there's some pressure and some stress sometimes <laughs> yeah. but, and it's like for the most part it's yeah. good you know it's like rewarding
1: I will say though because I mean you've so far done all my tattoos um, all three of them and I was quite scared to go into a tattoo shop because they can be quite daunting places because when you think of them you think of these big guys on the front desk with like heavily covered but you know yours was very welcoming you lit a candle made yeah,
3: it's it hard to go and I've, I've never I've been too scared I've been way yeah. too scared
2: worse <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like oh, I want to go see Sam Smith's music playing in the night Nice white tattoo place <laughs> you just have
3: to put up with my singing <laughs> <laughs> Even better. that was the whole concept behind the space was to yeah ha- have a friendly welcoming space and you know if you ever get really bored and you look at the google reviews a lot of the time people say that they felt like they were part of a family when they came into the space and they felt welcomed and i said you know one of the if one of the few rules we have so if you're telling jokes and telling stories within the space, you know, it's got to be the clientele has got to be included. It's got to be very inclusive. You can't all be laughing and people not know why, you know, yeah, I said, it's yeah, like, I don't want anyone point. to ever feel uncomfortable in this, in this space. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, as big or as small as a tattoo, you got to make it with love. And you've got to make sure the people are welcome and you've got to make sure they're like from the second they arrive to the second they leave to the thank you email that gets sent at the end of the day. Mm. The whole thing is done like very professionally. Yeah. I, like, I like some materialistic stuff and I like high fashion and I like nice watches and stuff. So I try to take the best bits of how the service industry is mm. and kind of bring that into a tattoo shop. And mm. I remind everyone that like there's multiple people to get tattooed from. And I always say still at the end of every tattoo, thanks for getting tattooed by me. Mm. And I think a lot of people just get caught up in their Instagram followers or their blue tick Mm. or their hype and they just go, actually, there's not many tattoos with a verified, but there's a lot of people (laughs) who get uh, caught up in the followers and the thing and then they they take it for granted. Mm. And, you know, I think there's people who come and get tattooed by me now who are kind of like fans sometimes and they're Mm. like so grateful. And I'm always like, oh, but thanks for choosing me. And they're like, no, no, I wouldn't have anyone else do it. But I'm like, yeah, but you had options, you know, Mm. and it's reminding yourself that, not to get caught up in the hype or to get caught up in your own hysterias. You got to yeah, remind yourself. I think. I think that's where so many people nowadays go wrong because they don't ground themselves mm. and they don't like, you know, even today I don't need to go to work today and tattoo. You know, it's my day off. I've got a business plan to finish. I've got other things to do, you know, like I could have, you know, I woke up with my missus, could have just chilled, you know, but my clientele again, someone that like he's on TV, blah, blah, blah. He's got a short time frame window and it's like, I got a lead from the front. So I got to keep pushing, you know, I got to keep working hard. You know, I can't sit back on my laurels now just because the shop's busy and that we got great tattoos. I got to be at the forefront and keep leading.
2: You you were talking though, you obviously touching on the fact that there's pressure and then there's stress. And And actually, I wonder, talking about that, how mental health affects you and how it actually affects your work or does it affect your work? This
1: show is brought to you by our show sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. Take it from me, going to therapy is cool. It doesn't have to be in-person therapy either. It can be at home, on the computer, in the comfort of your own bed and in your pyjamas. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counsellor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and 21 and over listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com holly. That's betterhel dot holly.
3: I was saying someone the other day, I just, I ended up learning how to tattoo through panic attacks. Wow! Yeah, I ended up learning how to disguise it and how to just get on with it to the point that like, I can actually like. It'll take a lot for me now to have to stop tattooing. Like, I can. I, it was a. It was a very, uh, like a very um, significant. Maybe that's the wrong word, but it's something that stands out for me. And I was tattooing and the client would never have known, I don't think. (laughs) But I remember I was tattooing something and and it was a couple of weeks after lockdown had been lifted and the shop had flooded and my old assistant fucked up and like there was a 40 grand bill that was potentially hitting me and like there was just a load of shit that just hit the fan at one time. Like, and I remember just, I remember it all kind of, you know, all kind of culminating and then uh, I was sat there and I was just, I could feel myself having a panic attack and I just was just like, I just fuck it. I'm just going to just get on with it. And I just tattooed through it. And I was just like, I know I'm not going to die. So I just got on with it, you know? And it was like, that's not right, man. That's not like, you know, that's not, that's not cool. (laughs) That's not, that's not what you should be doing. And I remember back in LA years ago, I remember, I remember we were smoking weed and, uh, my old boss hit me with the wrong strain of weed. And it just (laughs) hit me like this anxiety went through the roof. And I remember we're in this beautiful, like air conditioned tattoo shop. And I was tattooing someone's chest and, uh, I remember being over the top of this guy and just like, it was like a mission impossible scene with a sweat just drew like off me onto the client. And like my client was just like, are you you okay? (laughs) He's like, do you need to take a break? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I just need a break. I had to go outside. And it was just like, so yeah, there, there has been occasions where the anxiety and stuff has, uh, has come into play during the tattoos. Um, ed hardy once said tattooing is the closest thing you'll find to a witch doctor because you get in so into your own headspace when you're doing it you can kind of go off on so many different journeys whilst you're tattooing because once mm. you've been doing it for a while it's it's i don't want to say autopilot because i don't want to i don't want to disrespect the craft but like for me nowadays i know how a tattoo's going to come out for the most part i know how it's going to look when i finished it so it's just a matter of just going through the motions mm. and uh yeah you can go off into these like I don't even know where you go. You just go so far removed from being in the physical room. You know, it's uh, you're so
2: present, right? You're in a state of flow. Basically, mm, you're mm. completely focused. It's like up- when you drive and exactly, you just arrive. Yeah.
3: It's just like, it's kind of like that. But then I think sometimes, I think sometimes people are talking to me and they can, they're like, they kind of feel it that I'm not there. But as far as the stress and trying to manage that and the depression and stuff. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I I think I was like in the bath recently and, and uh, I don't know if everyone does this but my missus sits on the top of the toilet and I sit in the bath and we talk you know that's our kind of our, one of our things and I think we've had some of our deepest conversations in that situation mm. but I was sitting there and I was trying to break it down just trying to understand why I was so stressed and And so like, you know, uptight and stuff. And I think I realized after a while that on top of having the shop and the pressures of getting every multiple mouths fed and and all that sort of stuff, it was that like with where I've got to now with my work, subconsciously, I don't even think about it, but subconsciously the pressure is so high to do a good tattoo every day, to perform every day because people are coming and spending a lot of money to get tattooed. And I don't even think about it. But then I was trying to explain to my missus is that like, You're not just putting me in like a really tranquil, beautiful room like we're sat in now and just being at peace. I'm sat in there and I've got a third of my brain going creative hat, do a sick tattoo, be a creative. I've got a third of my brain going, has this back end of the stuff been done and what's the VAT bill going to be and have you done this? Have you done that? Like what's going on? And then the other half third of me is just like trying to rein in my ADD. You know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. like people are like that, right? Go and perform to the top of your ability but whilst you've got people coming in going, hey, this person's running late, like, hey, my client, like, what do you think of this? Should I mark it? How do you want to do this like this? Like, wh- what's going on with the other shot? Like, where's Pierce? Like, what? Th-? and you're like this. Okay, but let me do a really fucking sick tattoo at the same time. And then what people don't see, because that's not what we show online, is they don't see. Some days I'll come home and I have to lay flat out on my wooden floor on my back. Just calm, just lay down and let, let the dogs jump all over me and can't move my brain's so overworked and overstressed. They don't see that. They just see, like, the Instagram, as much as don't, I don't post loads, but they see, like, some of the trips or they see you on the watch or the car. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. they just, I, I just get people coming, oh, you're killing it. Life looks so good. And I'm like, yeah, it does look good and it is good, but there's a lot of BTS, I you know? See. BTS yeah. stroke BS yeah. that you don't mm-hmm. see, you yeah. know? And it's that's when it's tough, you know, waking up with a hard bout of depression and having to get out of the house, i not understanding why you're depressed. That's the hardest part for me is that I wake up in a beautiful city with my beautiful girlfriend, with beautiful stuff around me and everything I nearly wanted to ever have materialistically I've got and I wake up so fucking sad and I can't put my finger on why. And it's like, that is what I struggle with more than anything else. The worst bit is that you feel like you should be happy. That's when it kills you because you're like, I should be happy because so many people would kill to have what I have and I'm not happy and that makes me feel guilty. But what I do find is that I'm very lucky that I'm confident enough to verbalize it. And I feel like I'm one of the f- few people in my circle who goes, you know what? I'm depressed today and I own it. I just tell people. I'll go in, I'll go, I'm having bad anxiety today. People are like that. oh, and I'm like, if I don't talk about it, I'm going to suffer in silence. So I express it. And I find most of the time expressing it and conversing over dinners or conversing over lunches or talking to my clients, most people are understanding and sympathetic to you. Everyone asks how they can help and knows obviously no one can do anything to help. But just talking about it sometimes relieves it. And I found that's the biggest tool in my armors. or well, One of the biggest tools is to verbalize it because I think when you don't, just ease away, you, man. It's the hardest part. It's just the suffering in silence. And I I just can't do it. And I think... If there's people that I like or there's people like me, you know, six foot plus covered in tattoos, bigger blokes. If we can't own it and own up to it, how's the next person? How's the next one going to do it? Mm. So I think if I can go up and own it, then hopefully with the small platform that I have, hopefully someone else will see that and someone else will like, hopefully that will help their day and help them take control of it the next time. and, And we can understand that it's not, you're not just you. It's not just going on in your brain. There's multiple people doing suffering with it, you know?
1: As we know, I think men find it a lot harder to speak out about their mental health. When you have opened up to your friends, have you found that, you know, they've opened up to you as well and it's become more of a conversation rather than you telling them and them listening?
3: I think having the circle of friends that I do, which is very small, but very family orientated, like the the people that I keep counsel with or the people that I keep close to me, I know most of what's going on in those guys' lives. Because I don't have loads of time, and I don't have loads of people that I call close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, and what I realised as I got older is, like, I have a small group of friends and a lot of acquaintances. Like, I can walk into to like a well-known space in London and say hello to five different tables of people, but I won't class them now as necessarily my friends. I'll just be like, I know these people. Oh, I just know them. You know, it's not, it's not so much that desire to be popular anymore, or like any of that stuff. So I think what I'm able to do is give my energy and my love to my close friends. And then I know if they're going through a bad patch, if they're going through a good patch where they're at. And I think I work on all my friendships. I work on all my relationships, whether it's my relationship with my partner, whether it's my relationship with my mom and dad, whether it's relationships with my close friends, whether it's my relationship with the bank, <laughs> I work on all these relationships, you know? So it's like, uh, I do feel like I know what's going on and I think none of us are scared to uh, openly admit that when we're going through a rough day. And one of my best friends is, is you know, he's, he's, he's my height and uh, I guess no one can see me, but I'm tall. And he's a, <laughs> he's a tall bloke, 17 stone maybe. And uh, yeah, we're both fairly big blokes, but you know, we both openly admit that we have down days to each other. We'll converse, you know, with each other's partners. We'll converse as a four. We'll converse, you know. And, uh, and I think that a lot of us, I think it helps that I can pick up the phone. And that no one's gonna I know that people love me at the other end of the phone unconditionally. And I know that no one's gonna resent me for calling them. And I know no one's gonna think of me any less because I've opened up. You know, because I'm there for them and they know I'm at the other end of the phone if they're ever going through something. You know, one of my friends turned up at my house the other day and was just like, you know there's something wrong. I can tell you haven't been over for the football. There's something wrong. What's going on? So to have those people around me or you is very important, I believe. I say, It's something I say a lot and people probably get annoyed with it, but I think something I've learned is you really are a byproduct of like the five closest people that you keep a council with. It's, it's really, really, really important to really evaluate who you have around you and if it's for the right or the wrong reasons and who's bringing what to the table. And are you inspired by your friends or are they dragging you down? Because I see so many people who are just able and willing to let people around them stifle their creativity or stifle their dreams or stifle what they want to achieve because it doesn't suit them. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in society is that we're enabled to be uh, not complacent, but just to be very like uh, to live a mundane life, you know, and I think there's probably thousands of people out there who could achieve far more than what they're doing. And the problem is they surround themselves with people who won't drive them Mm. or who are content. To not achieve their goals or to not change their lifestyle. You yeah. know, I spoke to someone online one time and I was like, What are you doing for work? And they were like, I do this, but I'd love to work in fashion PR. And they started the conversation off by saying how hungover they were. And they were like, I would love to work in fashion. I was like, Why aren't you doing it? And they were like, Well, you know, like I've sent an email here and there. And I said, How about this? I said, How about for the next six weeks, you spend from Friday to Monday without any of your peoples around you, you sit at home. You work on yourself, you structure an attack plan, and you make it happen. And I said, I guarantee you, within six weeks, you'll have a job in fashion PR. But people won't sacrifice those weekends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll work a job Monday through Friday that they hate, and they won't make a small sacrifice to achieve what they want to achieve for a long-term happiness. And there's countless stories of it, mm. you know. So if someone around you is not not necessarily financially, but if someone around you is not supporting your ambition, or they're not driving you or they're not inspiring you. I don't think it's fair to do that to yourself.
2: It's a really good point, actually, and I can absolutely relate. Other than, you know, making sure that you are open and talk about the times that you're having, you know, down days and, and making sure that you keep your friends and your family close, what would you say? you do or helps you when you're in a bout of depression i mean do you find it easy or hard to be kind to yourself or is it kind of one of those things when you get into that state and you sort of beat yourself up and you kind of as you know as you were saying you know why am i feeling like this kind of thing what what do you do that kind of can help run run
1: i hate running
2: (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i hate it
1: i just
3: i just run i just I, i know that if i run I can't ignore those positive endorphins. Mm, that's true. So if I'm going through something, or if i sent an awkward text, or if I'm anxious about something, I go for a run. And I really hope they replied by the time I get home. It's one of those things I've just found. It's just like a way of tricking my brain into like snapping out of it. You know, running is, uh, yeah, it's again to, to touch on Tyson Fury, you know, it's, it's it really is like one of the best, best things you can do for your mental health is just release those natural endorphins, you know. You could do a dance class. You could do like, you know, a lot of people, I think, find uh, solace in like doing yoga and doing like, you know, just or, or TRX or CrossFit or whatever it is. I like to believe there's always some sort of exercise for someone.
1: Um, Miles, what are some of the most memorable tattoos that you have given?
3: Um, there was a, a Christmas day in New York. This is back when I still used to drink. I was probably north of 10 alcoholic drinks. And I think we'd started drinking the Baileys, you know, it got to that time. Oh, I have a Baileys. It's not really alcohol. I just have Baileys, you know, like <laughs> my phone's going off. Hey, like a group of us want to get tattooed right now. And I'm like, it's fucking Christmas day. Like you're mad. So anyway, they've been like, come. I'm like, I don't really know who this is. It's just like, I don't even know who's hassling me. And uh, I've got a set of keys to this tattoo shop, right? If you want to come and get tattooed, pull up and I'll do it. Whatever. I'm drunk. Like, I'll be honest. And they were like, yeah, we're dry. That's cool and uh it's maybe less about the tattoo in this instance but more just a funny story but we we got to the tattoo shop these big escalades pull up all these people get out come into the shop and one of them's there and she's sitting we have these like bar stools high stools right and I'm tattooing this uh my girlfriend's gonna love this but um I was tattooing this like Brazilian sort of like swimwear supermodel type girl and um, having a great time doing it, you know, we're having a massive laugh. And then all of a sudden, one of the girls who sat on these high schools just hits the deck, just like falls off their stool, drops. And I'm like, oh, "Fucking know this bird's like hammered." Anyway, it turns out, like later down the line, it turns out it's Haley Bieber. <laughs> 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 so show uh, that was a that, that was a, that, that, was a cool. that was a funny one. That is. Cool. Um, there's so many so many stories. You know, Machine Gun Kelly's another funny one. I was on my way to the football to go down and watch my football team play, and uh, my phone rings, American number. And I'm like, So I answered the phone. I'm like, Yo, what's up? He said, Yo, it's MGK. I want to get tattooed right now. All right. I'd never met him. So I was like, All right, where are you? And he was like, I'm at Kentish Town. I'm playing a show here. Can you come through and tattoo me? Like, someone show me your shit. Like, I want to get a tattoo. I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. And uh, so I've driven over there, got all the stuff set up, met him. Pretty pretty sound guy at this point, pretty chill. And um, he's there and he's like, I think I want a ship. And I'm like, cool, a ship. So he sits with me side by side, shoulder to shoulder. I'm sitting there and I'm drawing, drawing the ship, tracing it out. We've picked it together. We've watched me draw it. We've like gone through the whole process together, him and I stand up, made a stencil, lovely, it's gone on perfectly, I'm like, I'm about to fucking smash this tattoo, I'm really <laughs> confident, I'm about to do a sick tattoo, and I'm there, and he's like, he's looking in the mirror, and he's like, I don't want to ship anymore,
2: <laughs> oh my god,
3: <laughs> and I'm like that, okay, you didn't want to tell me, <laughs> so I was like that, okay, so then he sat back down, he sat like, a, if you looked at it like a football pitch, I'm one goal, he's the centre line, and uh, my old assistant's the other goal, right, so like, he can't see my old assistant, right? And uh so then he goes, just just design something for me, bro. And I'm like, I don't know anything about the you, pressure. I'm like, I don't know nothing about this, bro. And he's like, just design something for me, you know? And I'm like, what about a rose? Like a lot of people get roses from me, innit? So I was like, what about a rose? And he's like, nope. <laughs> what about some cherubs? He's like, no. I'm like that, Eagle, he's like, got one. And then he goes, oh, yes. he just goes, come on, bro come on, man. What about something to do with space? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm always high wandering around. I'm kind of like a space man. So let's do an astronaut. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. We'll do an astronaut. And so I've done it again. I sat down, i fucking done this drawing. And he's like, yeah, I love it. He's like, I don't want any of the shading though, man. Just the lines, just the lines. And and, and, uh, anyone familiar with my work knows that I do a lot of like soft black and gray shaded tattoos. That's how I tattoo, you know, predominantly. And anyway, like he sat there and I've done like kind of outlined some of it and I'm like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to shade it. So I've just started shading it, you know, against his will. I've just been like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it my way. Like if you don't like it, fuck it, you know, whatever. What's he going to do? So I started shading it and, uh, you know, he's he's smoking his blunt. He's smoking his blunt and, and he looks down after like 15 minutes and he's like, whoa, he's like, that shit's sick. <laughs>
2: Oh, thank God! He was like, "That sick!" Thank God. <laughs> thank God, I didn't know how this story was gonna end. he's like,
3: "That <laughs> sick, bro." He's like, "Yo, you killed this one." And uh, yeah, there's a funny video of him and him and I on. Uh, we made like a little video of the thing and like he's sitting around tattooing and he's smoking and we got Prodigy playing and he's like, ah, smack my bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> all is, it's, a, it's a funny video, but that was one of, one of the many stories. No. I
1: have really enjoyed speaking to you today. But before you go, one more question. What piece of advice would you give your 21-year-old self?
3: Um, my 21-year-old self? Stop drinking sooner. It's probably like... The Best thing I could have said to myself at 21, you know, I I didn't stop drinking until I was 27 years old. And and then when I did stop drinking, I slowly went through and everything I'd ever wanted to achieve materially, I went through and just one after the next just crossed off the list because I finally knew or was able to do more with my time from 6 p.m. till midnight. And that's something I never knew what to do with from like 16 years old. I never knew how to pass that time. And the problem was being a tattooer was that every day you work, you get cash in your pocket. So for me, I was finishing work and having a couple hundred bucks. I could always buy a new Stone Island jacket, take a girl to dinner and go on a holiday, right? So it was like within my brain, a massive part of my brain was telling me, go out and achieve, go and do all the things you can do. You're far more creative and you're far more driven than this. But the alcohol just subdued it, just suppressed all those those like uh, all that ambitious side of me just suppressed it because I had this simple thing that I got a bit of money in my pocket. So when I I finally stopped, it enabled me that I'd finished tattooing and like now today, like I've been able to come here and do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And everything I wanted to do, I was able to do because I had the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that alcohol is a problem for everyone. I'm just saying for me personally, it was debilitating. It slowed me down it like stopped me achieving, right? Mm. So when I stopped doing it, I suddenly found that like I was able to spin more plates and have a clearer vision Mm. and I was able to like learn who I was. So for me, the best thing about not drinking apart from the achievement side was that I sat down and over the course of a year, I processed who I was and I learned who I was Mm. as a man. And by the end of that process, I said, if people don't like me at the end of this, it's okay because I can look in the mirror, mm. and I know I've maintained and I've respected my own integrity. I know I've worked on my relationship with my friends and my family. I know if I see a woman with a pram, I help her up the stairs. I know I'll always say please and thank you, and I know I'll always try and do good by people. So if people don't like that, that's okay. I'm not for everyone, and that's okay. Mm. But to have that understanding, I would recommend it to anyone in their life to take as much time as it takes to really sit in front of a mirror and to strip yourself down and to understand your strengths and your weaknesses and to address them. Because I think there's something that people in their 60s and their 70s still have never done. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And
3: I think in this physical body or this physical state, we only get one shot at it. And to spend this much time wandering around the earth and in our own brain and to never understand it or to understand who we are, I think you're doing yourself an injustice. So for me, that's like the biggest part of mm. it.
2: Wow, thank you, Miles. Honestly, some really insightful and goosebump. Goosebumping messages that you just that you just gave um thank you so much for coming honestly such a great so great so many great stories and Mm, um insightful tips so thank you
3: thanks for having me
1: Natalie I'm sure you can see why I kind of raved about getting my tattoo I know my god I'm
2: now as I said to him like oh I'm now thinking about getting a tattoo myself (laughs) I mean wow
1: I think even just the the conversations, you know, sometimes when you go to get your nails on or something, it's very kind of like base level chat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with Miles, you will actually talk, you will listen, and you learn about him. He learns about you.
2: I think he's a really good example as well, you know. And it was really nice to have a man on the show to For talk, sure. to be open and vulnerable, and talk so honestly about the fact that he struggles. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good example that men struggle too, and 100%. to talk about it, you know. Mm
1: yeah my favorite bit was when he said you know for a guy who's over six foot and mm, covered, covered in, in tattoos, ta- tattoos if yeah if he can't talk about his mental health and his struggles then
2: then who can who can yeah, exactly it was wonderful to have him yeah
1: thank you so much for listening to 21 and over and a huge thank you to miles for being our guest today Please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts to get updated on new episodes. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're at 21 and over with Holly. And if you'd like to send us a note, you can either send us a DM or email us at 21 Studioramsey.com. We'll see you next time.
3: Seeking the truth never gets old.